0: gonna be bringing us a word today and kick uh, and kicking off a series um on well-being uh, which i'm just I'm so looking forward to hearing so much of what we hear um, of what society demands of us tur- almost like turns down our wellness and actually and actually doesn't help us to be all that we can be actually it feels like it's a new concept that everyone's talking about well-being But actually, we're going to learn over the coming weeks that it is ancient, it is everlasting, and the Lord has got our best in his heart. So, should we welcome Graham as he comes to bring God's word to us? Thank you, Tim. Good morning. So Tim has already stolen all of, all of my introductions, so we'll get straight into the <laughs> I was thinking, if he goes on for much longer, he will have still much of my introduction. But actually he's, he's bang on his rights. It's a subject that we think is recent and has only been in our culture for the last few years, actually, once we open up God's word, we find that it's something that actually has been around a long time. But it does seem that everybody has something to say on the subject of well-being, doesn't it? From the NHS and other health organisations to pretty much every company, school, university, they've all got something to say about it. And your employer may well have a well-being policy, even. Maybe some of you have even written the well-being policy for your organisation or school or company, and some of you are thinking, oh, maybe we should have one. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you should. And all of that, well, no, no, let me rephrase that. Much of that <laughs> is good. Much of it is helpful. And it's good that we're talking about these sort of things in a way that we haven't always done. Even in my working career, which, because I'm so young, is not that long, but, you know, it's not a subject that's been around even in, in my working life. Only perhaps a little more recently. But have you ever wondered what God has to say about the subject? I'm glad some of you are nodding because we're going to spend the next few weeks considering what God has indeed already said about the subject of well-being. We can look at the Bible together and... While Scripture doesn't use the word well-being per se, you will see over coming weeks that actually it is something that the Bible has a lot to say about. And we're going to touch on some subjects that Scripture does indeed teach into. So let's pray and Ask God to help us, not only today, but in the, in the coming weeks as we look at this subject together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, God, your word has so much to teach us. And we pray that over the, today and over the coming weeks, that as we open up scripture together, we would see what you have already said about some of these subjects, what we label well-being. Thank you that you've already said quite a lot about these things. And so we pray that we would learn from your word over the coming weeks and you would teach us by your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was some years ago that I asked our life group leaders at the time who they thought was the most important Difficult person in Jubilee for me to lead. I asked them, Who do you think it is, is the hardest person for me to lead or pastor? And there were some giggles around the room. There were some nudges as various spouses decided that their other half was probably the hardest person for me to lead or pastor. And we thought about it for a moment. And considered it together, and I want to tell you this morning who the hardest person for me to lead is. I'm having a good look around, seeing where I might land my gaze. Don't worry, I'm not coming back to you too often. (laughs) Actually, friends, the hardest person for me to lead, for me to pastor, is guess who? It's me. Some of you said that too quickly. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not just for me, I'm the hardest person to lead. Although some of you are thinking, yeah, I can see why. And you really are. But for each of us, we ourselves are the hardest person for us to lead. And actually, the second question might be, who's the most important person for you to lead? Or for me to lead? And strange that it may seem, the most important person for me to lead is me. It's not my wife or family. Not my fellow elders or leaders in the church. Not in the church as a, as a family of people together. No, actually the most important person for me to lead is me. And the most important person for you to lead is, guess who? You. above any other responsibility you might have of leading anybody else or anything else, the most important person is you, for you to lead. And it's not because you are more important than anybody else. It is that you have a unique role in leading you. And I have a unique role in leading me. And the whole area of self-leadership is is vitally important. and Too often it's neglected. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, watch your life and doctrine closely. Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely, he says. It's not watch somebody else's life and doctrine closely. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We we watch other people's lives and we watch their life and their doctrine and we make comments about it, either internally or externally. What Paul says to Timothy is watch your life and doctrine closely. But to do that, you have to ask the question, well, how do you do that? How are you going to lead yourself? Well, if, if leading yourself and caring for yourself is so important, how and how do you watch your life carefully? How do you watch your doctrine carefully? What, what do you do? How might you measure these things? Well, for more than 20 years, I've used a method to help me see how I'm doing on various areas of life. I've often taught it to other people and uh, I've taught it in various contexts in in different scenarios, both here in Jubilee and and wider, uh, to talk about how people might make an assessment of if they're going to look at their life closely, how do they do that and how do they measure it and what might those measures be? And it's fascinating that Uh, Dave Smith, who's written a book on well-being that whilst we're not preaching through it, we're using it to help frame our series and give us some structure to what we're looking at. He uses an almost identical method. So when I picked up the book and thought, I recognize this. This is something I've been doing for 20 plus years. And what he does and what I've done for many years is, is, is draw some gauges. And you might not have a piece of, I and mean, if you have a piece of paper and a pen with you today, then you might want to draw this on your pad. And you can, um, are you ready for this artwork? This is going to be quite something. I can promise you. There you go. You impressed? It's good, isn't it? Six circles is what we have there. And you can look at these circles in different ways. And um, But what we're going to do is use these circles to measure, to take an assessment, if you like, of some different areas of life. And you, know, you can do it in different ways. Either you can say, well, Uh, I want to make it a bit like a clock, if you like, and I'm going to start from there, and that's sort of halfway there, and depending where you might put the clock hands, depending how you're doing. Another way of doing it, the way that Dave Smith does it in his book, uh, is he says, well, this is a bit like a a rev counter on a car. So you might say that there is zero, uh, and there is is ten, so that might make there five, for example, and uh, if you imagine you're going to put a, a hand round, where, where might the hand be on that rev counter? And what, what I've used it for is, it is four particular areas. Uh, Dave Smith looks at six. The four that I normally use, he adds a couple of extra ones on. So a slide is going to come up on the screen now, which is a slightly better version of what I'm trying to communicate to you. But the six areas that we're going to look at together over subsequent weeks And six areas where you can look at your life and go, how am I doing in that area? Is physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, financial, and vocational. So if we've got the slide there, if that can can go up, Joe, please. There we are. Um, And there's six areas of how are you doing in life? Well-being might be a, uh, a phrase we would use. But you know, how are you doing, for example, physically? That's perhaps quite an easy one to measure. You might go, you know what, I'm feeling quite fit. I'm, I'm going to the gym three times a week. I'm, I'm heading out for a run a couple of times a week. I, I'm watching what I eat. I, I'm a good weight. I'm, I'm exercising well. And I'm getting enough sleep. Uh, actually, you might go, you know what, uh, if, I'm, uh, if, that was, if that was a description of you, you might say, you know what, on this gauge, I might say I'm somewhere around here, perhaps. If that was physical. And that would be how you would measure it. Spiritual would be be another one where you could say, how are you doing spiritually? And look at your own life think, how am I doing spiritually? How's your walk with God's? Now, what I have found over time Is that most British people answer this question in one way? It seems like most British people don't want to over egg it and assume they're doing too well. So typically they they go, Oh, probably around a five or six. So so, not bad, but could do better. I almost want to say, You can't use five or six, (laughs) because that's just, that's anti four. I'm doing okay, but could do better. How are you doing? How might you be doing spiritually? And then over the subsequent weeks, we look at different gauges, the emotional gauge. How are you doing emotionally? That's the one that often people miss. How are you feeling? How's pressure in your life, be it internal or external? Are you low emotionally? Are you doing okay? Where might your gauge be if that was the emotional one? Where would the where would the hand stop? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially, and vocationally. We'll, we'll explain all these over subsequent weeks and look at what the Bible has to say actually about all these areas of life. I think I've put that in the way of the, uh, the screen. Let me just move it across. There we are. And so what we're going to be doing in, in subsequent weeks is saying, well, how are we doing in these areas? And we'll take one each week. What does the Bible have to say about it? What are some lessons that we can learn from Scripture that will help us? Will help our well-being? Will, will help us to grow spiritually or emotionally? What has God already said is what we're going to be saying. What does the Bible say? And how can we help one another as well? And it'd be good to ask some questions maybe in in small groups over coming weeks. You might want to come back to to this chart and you might want to draw yourself out six circles. And what I'd encourage you to do maybe this week is to draw yourself out six circles. And I think we'll put this slide on the website if we can. I'm looking at somebody that can make that happen. Um, And you might want to print it out if you prefer to do it that way. But think about how you're doing now in those areas of life and then you might want to review it in a month's time or a couple of months time as you've looked at these things together and you might want to discuss it in life groups and say how are we doing how are you doing what, what's your strongest area and what's the area you're perhaps most vulnerable in and need most support in and encouragement and be able to pray for you in it <clears throat> Before we get into too much detail and I start stealing what other people are going to say over subsequent weeks, I want us just to open the Bible together and look at one example that will help us understand um, a a biblical example of one of our Bible heroes who we can look at and go, well, actually, he's got something to teach us in this whole area of well-being in different parts of life. And the story I want us to look at briefly is one of Elijah. And it's a great example of somebody who, from the outside, you would observe him if you might, maybe you, if you saw him on a platform teaching, if you saw him at a distance doing what he was doing, and we'll talk about that in a moment, you might think, wow, <clears throat> there's someone who's really going for God, who's really got it together, they're all sorted you might think. But as we'll see, that's not the whole picture. I mean, yes, in the story of the life of Elijah, you've got some examples of God using him amazingly, really powerfully. Accounts of miracles and some great examples of God ministering through him. And then suddenly he crashes and burns and it's like, completely burnt out and runs away from it all. But you know what? It's also a story of God's restoration. It's a story of God coming to him and restoring him. So Elijah is an Old Testament prophet born some 2,900 years ago in what most historians would say is modern-day Jordan. And the nation of Israel is ah, in a mess. I guess is the best way to describe it. The king, Ahab, his wife, Jezebel, are leading really religious and moral decline of the nation. Jezebel herself is devoted to, to Baal worship and all the evil that went along with that occultish power, child sacrifice, sexual r- uh, rituals promiscuity. I mean, it was horrible. And you've got Ahab and Jezebel leading the nation into that. And there's spiritual decline all around. And that's the environment that Elijah comes into. And he declares that there's going to be a drought. And there is. But God provides for him. In his journey, he raises up a a dead boy. He goes to confront Ahab. He challenges the prophets of Baal, or Baal, you might pronounce it, you can say either. He challenges them to to call down fire from their god, And he says, why don't we have a, a competition, if you like? Whoever can call down fire from their God, then that's the proof that he is God. And the nation should follow him. And so you, you can read the accounts in, in, in 1 Kings. And as you might expect, the prophets of Baal try to call down fire and, and nothing happens. They get increasingly agitated and worked up. It's quite funny when uh, Elijah teases them and suggests that maybe their God is asleep and they need to shout louder. And nothing happens. And then it comes to Elijah's turn. And he's got a sacrifice there on the altar. And just to prove the point, he, he, he makes sure that it's completely doused in water. I mean, there's water running around. It is soaking wet. And then he calls and, and prays on God, prays to the Lord. And calls on God to send fire down. And he does. It's a remarkable spiritual battle. Elijah prays, God answers, The, the prophets of Baal are killed. Amazing encounters, powerful situations. Elijah's right there at the forefront of it. And then in 1 Kings 19, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And Elijah, we're told, was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. It all seems to turn on a moment. Just that comment from Jezebel. I mean, Elijah knew he wasn't popular. It wasn't new news for him. It wasn't new information that that she would be out to get him. That would not have been a surprise, but it seems to have landed in a new way in his heart. After all his success, Elijah is exhausted. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, he is wiped out. He's dumb. We'd probably look at the story and saying he's having, and we'd say he's having some sort of crisis moments. Maybe some sort of breakdown. It seems like his tanks are empty. If he were to take out exercise, if he were to draw out the gauge, and he took a bit of paper, and he might go, well, Elijah, how are you doing? He'd be like, well, you know what? Physically, I think I'm, I'm just down there. Emotionally, I think I'm proof. I'm just down there. Spiritually, and so on. he is wiped out. Even if he could process how he was feeling, (laughs) that's where he would be. He's running scared of Jezebel. It almost seems like he's forgotten who he is. There's a whole lesson there, you know, a whole other preach about knowing who you are and whose you are. A lot of our problems are often caused by forgetting that. Our identity in God is so important, friends. If it feels like Elijah had forgotten that. In such a short space of time, he goes from powerful prophet calling down fire from heaven to running scared away from Jezebel. God has shown up for him so powerfully in the past. We could look at the story and go, Elijah, but don't you know? God hasn't changed. God's going to show up for you again. I wonder if you were called on to minister to Elijah in that situation, what would you do? If you got a phone call saying, Elijah's in a mess. Can you go and see him? What would you do? I wonder, would you be, oh, I'm going to pray for him. Let's Let's go pray for Elijah. Elijah, I'm here to pray for you. Or would you go, oh, maybe he needs to hear some faith-building promises from Scripture. Elijah, I'm here to read some Bible to you. You need to get some Bible into your, your mind. You've, you've forgotten some stuff. I'm going to read some Scripture promises over you. Is that what you do? They're not bad things, friends, if that's what you do. That's, but listen, what does God do? I love what God does. Don't you always? Don't you love how God responds? Listen, this is what the Lord does. 1 Kings 19, verse 5. Then Elijah lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water, he ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. What Elijah needed to start with was a rest and some food and drink. I mean, who doesn't who doesn't like fresh bread? I mean, it's a win, isn't it? You know, even before, he's going to get some promises. We'll come to that. But before the promises, God knows that he needs to rest. He needs to sleep. He needs to eat and drink and be replenished physically. God cares how you're doing physically. Before we get to promises, Elijah gets some rest and some food. Because God knows that he's not going to speak promises over him if he's exhausted and hungry. He lets him rest and sleep and comes to him with food and drink. Angel takes care of him and then God speaks to him. You know, sometimes, friends, you've just got to slow down to rest. I've got to minister to you in that way. Maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. To stop. To rest. To wait. After Elijah is physically rested, he goes off and God does speak to him. God does listen to him. He pours out his heart. God responds to him. He doesn't condemn him. He does restore him. He gives him some fresh instructions as to what he needs to do. This reminds me of how Jesus puts it in in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The message version of that verse puts it like this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's a great version of of those verses. Learning the unforced rhythms of grace. And Elijah needed to learn that again. And that's okay. God knew that. He comes to him. Elisha moved very quickly from walking in faith to responding in fear. And before we're too quick to criticize him, he's he's just exhausted after that battle with the, the prophets of Baal and Jezebel herself. No wonder he's exhausted. No wonder all his... Dials are down. One, he always, you know, he's just physically, emotionally, spiritually wiped. But as well as needing to be restored physically, get some rest and food and drink, he needed to have faith restored again. And God comes to him and encourages his faith and encourages him once again. Speaks promises over him, gives him some commissions, him giving him some things to do. Hearing God's word changes situations, doesn't it? Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Elijah needed to hear the word of God. And he got there. and God spoke to him. And his faith was fueled once again. But as well as needing to... Be fueled by faith. You need to starve your fears. Now, Jezebel spoke and it landed in Elijah's heart, and there was fear there. But we need to learn to refuse fear and need to starve it. Now, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. So we do need to learn to take hold of fear and starve it. And take hold of faith and feed it. As I was thinking this week about this series. I felt God speak to me quite strongly about breakthrough. And I felt God say to me, expect breakthrough that this should not just be a few weeks of information but rather we should be expectant that God will break in and do something in our lives can that slide go back up again Joe please if you are struggling in any one of these areas if you might look at the screen and go oh you know what I'm really struggling in one of those areas particularly one or two Some of you might look at the screen and go, I'm not doing great in any of them. Listen, I believe that God wants you to expect breakthrough over the next few weeks. This is not just going to be a series of information. This is not just saying, oh, let me give you some helpful tips and pointers. This is about God wanting to break in and bring breakthrough for you in your life. And listen, if you're preaching on one of these weeks, I want to encourage you to expect breakthrough for people as you preach and as you teach. I really believe God wants to do some deep work in us and with us over these coming weeks together. So I want to encourage you, friends, come in faith. You might look at that now and go, Graham, you don't know what life's like for me. It's tough in every area. I want to say to you, God wants to meet you in every area. God wants to bring breakthrough for you physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially, and vocationally. God wants to bring breakthrough in your life in every one of these areas. I want us to believe, God, that he wants to be at work in us through this series Amen can we stand together I'm going to pray as we close and um, look forward to coming weeks together as we look at these subjects i <clears> want <throat> to pray for you particularly if you are looking at that screen right now and thinking yep some of those dials are low some of those dials have barely moved off zero. I want to pray for faith for you this morning that God is going to meet you in your need in the coming weeks. So let's pray. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Let's be open to him speaking to us and encouraging us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Elijah. Man, just like us. <laughs> Yet yeah, he prayed and rain stopped. He prayed and fire came down from heaven. So all these miracles, he prayed and a boy was raised from the dead. And yet suddenly things turned for him and he ran and was filled with fear and was exhausted. God, sometimes we can feel like that. And so I want to pray for any of my brothers and sisters this morning who are looking at the screen and thinking, yeah, that dial's low. There's barely anything in that tank. I want to pray for faith to arise this morning. That God, over these next few weeks together, you are going to bring breakthrough in every area of of these parts of our lives. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would stir faith and expectation that you would meet us in our deepest and darkest needs. And Lord, even if it's an area we've struggled with before and we haven't quite got hold of, maybe for years, Lord, I pray for a breakthrough in this series. As we spend these weeks looking at these areas of life, Father, we pray for a breakthrough in every one of them. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your presence with us. We pray, God, would you stir faith in our hearts that you want to do some remarkable things in us, through us, and indeed, with us thank you Lord that you spoke life to Elijah and gave him fresh things to do I pray Lord over these next few weeks you will speak life to us give us fresh things to do for you for your glory we ask it in Jesus name Amen 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 Amen. well God bless you thank you so much for being with us this morning refreshments are being served in the box room, so that's out of the door there and to your left and you are allowed to take your mask off while you're eating and drinking so there's tea and coffee and some edible goodies so please don't feel you've got to rush off, please do stay around, love to chat and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week either here at Quad or, or online. Do feel free to invite friends over this series, I do believe it's a, a series that is very timely for us. And there may be people that are in your world. You think hey, I could do with hearing this, so invite them to be part of it. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or we'll come along on any Sunday morning.